0: Olaf Bjarnason to Lawrence, hopefully for Fuller. What a sweet Larsen here! Ricardo for a score for Stoke. Ten minutes to go,
1: and it could yet be a celebratory night in the Potteries.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Wizards of Drivel podcast, wherever you are. Uh, if you haven't already realised, we're having a bit of a switch around in the position in the positioning of. The presenter it is me Ben Kara. I'm presenting for the very first time and hopefully I'll do a better job out of position than Ibrahim Afalai against West Brom we... last week and good, <laughs> good news everyone I don't have a voicemail on my phone telling me I'm a loser just yet so yeah I'm gonna welcome <laughs> Dave how are you David
2: this morning I'm very well Ben and
0: how
1: Chris same to you I'm, I'm all right thank you Ben I'm all right that is that is lovely oh, well it, the listeners
0: don't know this yet but I know this I, you two went to the game yesterday as a sort of pair a wizard drivel pair I'd like yeah. to <laughs> to know how did that go how was the game how was the
2: sort of general Bet365 atmosphere yesterday <laughs> um to be to be honest uh, the Bet365 atmosphere was pretty much as standard for uh, Stoke games this season um Not a great game, to be perfectly honest, but an important result and an okay performance to go along with it. Uh, Very important to get rid of that Palace hoodoo um, and finally win against them. Uh, They might be the poorest side we've seen Stoke play this season, perhaps even worse than Sunderland, uh, based on what I saw. Uh, That said... Uh, some really good performances from us. Ramadan Sobi uh, was getting lots of plaudits, and rightly so. He was uh, breaking the ankles of the right back all day. Um, Bruno Martins Indi at the back, I thought, was excellent. Uh, Whelan played well. Crouch played well. Arnie played well. So uh, a lot of positives there. And you know, it's always nice to go to a go to a Stoke game, even if the game itself isn't terrible. Met some nice people from Stoke Twitter at half-time. so yeah, a, a, a good day. Chris, yeah, who are we? Yeah, go, go on.
1: on. No, no, you were going to say you were going to say things, and I don't want to interrupt <laughs> the new presenter.
0: <laughs> All I was going to say were who who were your winners yesterday for Stoke? Who were your who, who were the players that you picked uh, out?
1: I I was really impressed with Ramadan. I thought he came in and he proved that. He deserves to be in the starting lineup when Shaqiri or whoever is out. I think that any doubts that Mark Hughes had over playing him should be erased because he, he had a very, very solid game um and was up there for man of the match. Um Marco and Outovich actually got man of the match, but I think myself and you, Dave, we both thought that maybe Bruno Martin Zindi deserved it because he was he he's just such a good player like you you have so much confidence in him winning every challenge and just playing the ball in such a I don't know precise manner he 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 was really really good um but yeah it's hard to pick out any players who didn't really have a fine game i think glenn johnson looked a bit weak when he came on i think that charlie at the start of the game, I thought Charlie Adam was going to be incredible you know he 's played oh, he 's playing some incredible passes, and then I realized that he 's actually just booting it up the field without without realizing where there, it's was, going. there was there uh, was some
2: <laughs> absolute vintage charlie adam yesterday uh, i i don't I don 't I don't want to have too much of a go because I think on the whole it was fine but uh, there was um one moment just before half time, where having recovered the ball from an Arnautovic back heel, he then proceeded to think he was on Arnautovic and back heeled it straight out of play. And then, yeah. <laughs> I think in the second half, I'm not sure, he uh, decided the best course of action to deal with an attacking player was to just run him over. Like, yeah. just, yes. like a uh, Land Rover <laughs> at full speed, just bang, knocked him out.
1: <laughs> it wasn't even like a tackle. He just literally ran into them. Yeah, <laughs> he was. He was promptly uh, substituted after that, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, I think I, I think I I agree with what with what Dave said. I think that um, it wasn't a standout, incredible performance. But I would be, it would be wrong to criticise. I think we did everything right. Uh, Palace were defending so deep they had a a back six at times and it was it was hard to break through Um, but no it was a the result was more important than anything else (laughs) yesterday and I'm glad we got it
0: yeah it was a was a bit of a, a drab first half of the first half an hour of the game nothing really happening then then the game sort of kicked into life we had a couple of chances as well big chances really in the first half the one for Allen the header that oh, yeah. probably should have been a goal and, and another one i picked out was was the Arnautovic one where he cut it onto his left and, and it kind of it was similar to the the couple of chances he got last week where i felt if it was if it was last season then it would have gone into the back of the net but hennessy made a a half decent save and and yeah so that allen chance he, i mean oh, dear. i was watching match today the day and john watson said some people would say Joe Allen's best trait is his finishing so I don't
2: I, <laughs> once,
0: once more I don't know what John Watson has been smoking but he should have scored that one some wonderful play from Sobby in the build-up for that one as well that's the
2: yeah, yeah absolutely I don't know who these people are that John Watson has met but uh yeah I don't think how anyone can watch Joe Allen for more than five minutes of a football match unless these people have just seen like a goal compilation on YouTube of Joe Allen that's the only reason I can think uh, for him to say that yeah uh any other play, you want really there on the back post, especially sort of crouch, you want just to knock that in. Um, is one, it's it's a decent chance, but I, you know we've seen Onaevich miss easier chances than that, and and uh, yeah, I, I don't think I was expecting the net to burst even when he he cut inside on his left. So uh, I, I do quite enjoy the people who say. Things like, oh, it could, it could have been 4-0 purely on the basis we have four shots on target. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay, it could have been 4-0, but that would would have been a bit of a uh, poor reflection on on the game. And, um, yeah, if, if we can just sort out our pesky shooting accuracy and get 100% accuracy all the time, we'd win games 4 or 5-0, so... Uh, yeah there weren't too many chances to be honest it, it, it wasn't a game for that and I suppose a lot of it is is down to how Palace set up understandably so after being hammered by Sunderland they wanted to uh, come in for straight see if they could get Zaha to uh, create something on the counter attack but uh, full credit to us we didn't let them
0: yeah this, I was going to bring that up I may as well bring it up now um, well Townsend was playing for them who caused havoc last time uh, mm. in the reverse fixture but Chris, does it matter to you that Palace were absolutely demolished 4-0 last week against Sunderland? I think that was at home for them. And then they come to the Bet365 and, and we sort of struggle through. I know we got the three points and that's fantastic. I'm very happy about that. But hmm. does it matter that about that? I think a few people might have mentioned that. Uh,
1: no, in the sense that you would expect Palace to have a reaction. You don't lose 4-0 and then not come out and try something different unless you're Stoke earlier in the season um like yeah you would you would expect Sam Allardyce to have drilled them all week on defensive stuff I I, he he was disappointed that they didn't get a point he felt that uh, the game was much more even and uh I I felt we were we were the better side in the game um but I don't know I think that they for the most part Palace did defend well they weren't um a calamity of errors or anything. They they defended well, and it was a bit of brilliance that won the game for us. Um, so no, I I weren't I wasn't going in expecting us to hammer them like Sunderland hammered them. Um, but yeah, again, the result was the most important thing. And of course, yeah, it was going to be a it was always going to be a bit of a scrappy game. It was never going to be a total football masterclass. It was going to be just disjointed, and mm. and it, that's fine for us as fans. We we care about that. Palace, we, yeah. we,
2: we Palace is so surprising to me that they're down there purely on the basis of the quality of players they have mm-hmm. in their team. I know uh, Pardew probably mismanaged them a bit, and Sam Allardyce hasn't hit the ground running yet. But again, you look at the standard of players they've got. You, I thought, right, Benteke being supplied by Townsend and Zaha would would be a real worry for us and there was moments where where Zahar and Townsend broke and you thought oh hey we're we're in in for some trouble now but they just weren't capable of creating anything they just they were so disappointing from their point of view in in like every aspect nearly um their defense was more solid yeah there were times where like i said it, it was a back six and it was like oh god how are we going to break this down but luckily uh, Patrick Van Arnholt was there at the decisive moment to get turned by Ramadan, and it, it was a ter- it was a terrific goal. I think uh, Arnie's ball over the top was just uh, the spark we needed, and he 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 did that classic Arnie thing of producing this moment of brilliance and then just kind of strutting away with a bit of a, a miserable expression, like yeah, thank th- thanks for coming, guys. I see you've scored, nice one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I thought it was a it was a decent finish from Allen as well to be fair to him. it was very well struck yes. into the bottom corner. Well finishing um, is his best gone... attribute. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Um I mean uh, and you brought up that Van Arnhalt, the their new signing their wonderful apparent defender is mm. yeah was the reason for the goal so well, not the reason. The reason was that fantastic ball. Um moving on to sort of just the Some post-match comments, I think there are, are a couple of interesting ones, especially, I think Chris, you sort of mentioned it a bit, Sam Allardyce coming out afterwards saying, the only shot they had in the second half is their winner, um, which is an interesting comment to make, considering they only had one shot on target for the entire game, which I believe came from that man, Patrick van Aanholt, and it was a bit of a dribbler, so it's kind of smacks of desperation from, yeah. from Allardyce, who, as you mentioned, hasn't really sort of slotted in at Crystal Palace as you would have hoped to do.
2: We had four shots on target and they had one. And so you think from those sort of blunt statistics, you think 1-0 would be a a fair reflection on the game. And it was. They offered nothing, really. They they, they had one decent move in the first half at at 0-0. But apart from that, they were so blunt. And I think a draw would have been very harsh on us. Um, and, yeah, and go on, Chris.
1: Well, I, I was going to say that I think that the the one criticism I would maybe have of Stoke in that first half, particularly, was we were so pedestrian with the ball. Um, we we were saying before the the Allen goal that bloody hell, this is this is this is crying out for a bit of creativity. You know, you need a a a, a Bojan or something who's yeah making being a bit unpredictable. Um, it just, it yeah, the, the, it felt like it was a game where there was no spark on either side and we were very, very slow with the ball getting it up the pitch. Or at least, we weren't. We would boot it up the pitch and then when that didn't work, we'd just hold on to it and we just it was very, very slow. Um, but yeah, Palace, I don't think... I, I never felt at any point, oh my God, Palace, oh, they're going to get a goal back here. It, it, they... Even, even when they were breaking on the counter-attack, you just felt like... Either we were going to be in control, or they would completely cock up any chances they got. They didn't. They didn't feel like a team who were filled with confidence in my eyes.
0: now I'll, I'll run through some some three word reviews if you don't mind, Dave. I'm I'm really taking over here. Go for it. Um, we got Adam is fat is the first one. Which oh, is a nice one. No. Um, That's not. I'm just that. going through in. I'm going through in order. <laughs> Bought and shirt. Thanks, Dave, for that. Um, yes. Outcome, not process? Question mark. Result, not performance. I love pyramids too. Um, yeah, four words again. Whelan haters embarrassed. Um, yes, yeah, there's a couple about that. Got um, a good Whelan. response. Whelan so. did well. Mm. Yeah, missed the game. Uh, sorry, you missed the game. Hopefully, you'll catch up with the podcast. Um, Ramadan breaks ankles. I think that's enough of that. I I, I, I was I was wanted to bring up a couple of highlights off the pitch as well. I mentioned Engoy there briefly.
2: Dave you you
0: bought an Engoy shirt.
2: Well yes. Um it, my enthusiasm for my uh, purchase on sale in the Stoke City store if uh if you if you're looking for some new clothes. Um yeah, it it, it was um it was just a solidarity with young Julian uh, and my enthusiasm for it was drained uh, when I discovered he wasn't even on the bench. There, there, is a, there is a serious point to be made here, though, about Ngoy, is that the under-23s played on Friday and Ngoy, presumably because he was being considered for this squad on Saturday, didn't play for the under-23s. Now, that means when he doesn't make the squad that's two games he could have played in either of those two games and he's not played in either. So he's missing out on vital game time. Now, I, I understand from the manager's perspective that he, he wants to have an, Ngoy as an option uh, if it comes to it. And if he played on the Friday, he he would have been drained. But it's a really awkward situation for Ngoy. And I, I think Valinden may be in this situation when he comes back from injury as well. That they can't get... Uh, consistent minutes, which are vital for for players at their stage of their career. So, I think we should be looking into a, a loan move. Uh, I think, I don't think we can loan them out to a league side this year. But, um, yeah, just something to consider really, because uh, players can sort of fall through cracks.
0: It's quite a weird one. Yesterday, I thought with all the sort of hype around going in in the in the week, and then he was also on the front cover of the program, and he wasn't even included. Was was there a reason why he wasn't included? Do we know?
2: I think just because uh, Sobby had come back into the side and as the least senior player, he sort of dropped down off the bench. Which did seem odd, given that he'd had minutes recently and the likes of... uh, Was Bonnie on the bench? Uh, Anyway, but... um, Yeah, disappointing. Understandable, but still disappointing.
0: Yeah, and I mean, talking about missing elements... No more big screen, Chris. How was how was the lack of a big screen in the corner?
1: It, it confused me. I couldn't <laughs> cope with it. I kept I kept having to nudge Dave and be like, "How long? How long have we played now?" And I could not tell you any of the Palace players. Usually, I looked to that screen like right, twenty eight. Yes, I, okay, yeah, that's him. Oh, it was so confusing. But it was also it was weird, not knowing how long of the game was left. It was just very relaxing for me, actually. There was no, like, <laughs> time limit in my mind. It was great. Um, you, no, it, it's, it's weird. It's weird without the screen. It's um, quite sad. But they've started digging the, the foundations for the new stand. So that's quite exciting, I suppose.
2: Yeah, it's, it's going to be great to see that those kids who climb up the trees uh, sort uh-huh. of in that corner won't be able to see anything anymore. The cheapskates. <laughs> And also,
1: yeah, they've started tearing down the trees. aren't yeah. they? they've they started digging them up.
2: Oh god! <laughs> and also, Chris, how much of a millennial new fan are you that you need a big screen there to uh, know what's going on?
1: <laughs> not to know what's going on, but just to know. Uh, I can't keep the time without seeing the clock <laughs> on the screen, and I don't know who any of the players are. So it's not my fault. I don't know who Palace are. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Talking about Palace, do we do we think they're in huge trouble there at the bottom? We'll just briefly mention that. I mean, there are a few teams down there, but Dave, you mentioned they're one of the team, the worst teams that we've seen at the Bet Three Six site this season.
2: Absolutely, they're in trouble. Um, the only sort of saving grace they might have is Sam Allardyce's record for uh, keeping teams up. I think, despite having on paper quality players, they're just not clicking as a team at all. I'm still absolutely amazed they beat us four one. It just so stupid. Um yeah, they're they're definitely in that mix of, of teams who could go down and frustratingly for them, like the likes of Hull and Swansea are picking up results now. I know they didn't last week, but uh yeah, I, I would be very, very concerned if I was a Palace fan.
0: Right, we'll end the the match discussion there. Got a few more things to bring up. The first of which is: Did either of you watch Bojan play on Friday for Mines? No,
2: <laughs> I I I physically can't do it.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. if you if you didn't know, he started for the first time for Mines, and they won two nil. That was their first win in five. Um, and I think there was there was sort of an interesting comment after from their manager. He said. Um, he's got a lot to get used to mine's training a different intensity to what he was used to is what he said which is an interesting comment Um, but yeah I won't won't dwell too much on that one do you think he's Um,
2: happy
0: I don't want to think about it I do not want to think about it does he still talk about it? I've deleted him (laughs) on (laughs) Facebook I've deleted him on Facebook I've followed him on Twitter he's out of my mind (laughs) No, I haven't really. I'm, I'm, I'm stalking his profiles every day.
2: I'm just seeing all these pictures of him looking so happy. It just, um, <laughs> do you think he's happy with him? Are they treating him all right? <laughs> I, I, I don't like this talk of high intensity training. I don't. I want him. I want him to have fun. <laughs> I like that. It's
1: kind of the reverse, though, isn't it? Of what like you hear Premier League managers go, yeah, yeah. Well, they've when they when they bought a player from overseas, it's like. Yeah, yeah, they, they need some time to get used to the physicality the intensity at Premier League I like the idea that uh, they've just said yeah yeah well Bundesliga it's more intense than the Premier League isn't it he's, he's had to come here and get used to it <laughs> good good on him I like that <laughs>
0: um, Another interesting thing from the midweek I don't know if either of you watched this was that Mark Hughes did a sort of question and answer session with, with the fans at mm. the Bet365 um, I don't know if either of you picked out anything interesting that he said but something or a subject that he brought up and and I found quite interesting was that he was saying that there's been a few players that we've been involved in signing and almost being able to push it over that that final line to get them to the club and and it didn't happen and he didn't actually want to bring up the players because then apparently we'd be crying if we knew the players that we were (laughs) almost going to sign which I I think is quite interesting
2: (laughs) yeah that sounds about right to be honest um I mean, even the high-profile high, foot, high profile players we know we've missed out on in the past, uh, particularly under Pulis, like of Remy and Denver Bar, who are at the training ground and all ready to sign for us. And it doesn't surprise me to know that that trend of almost signing quality players would be continuing. Um, I think that's probably true for all clubs, to be honest. Uh, the clubs like us are probably in for loads of players over the course of a season and uh, they eventually get cherry-picked by the big clubs what I thought was interesting yeah. uh, by the way was uh, talking about Steven Nzonzi was actually offered a better deal at Stoke for a new contract than the one he was offered at Sevilla but yet he still went to Sevilla um, I think that was quite interesting because the people who say oh Nzonzi was a greedy boxer he was only in it for the money well clearly not he's won the Europa League at Sevilla he's, to, he's towards the top of La Liga and he's Uh, La Liga uh, player of the month so um, he's definitely made the right decision for his career there
0: yeah anything that you wanted to bring up lovely Um, now the moment that we've all been waiting for I'm sure Pulis v Hughes the heavyweight title challenge I mean Imagine Ryan Shawcross sitting there last Monday um, after a defeat to West Brom, sitting there quite idly. He picks up his phone and notices there's been a missed call from Tony Pulis. There's a voicemail there. He calls up and Tony Pulis is apparently calling him a loser, um, which isn't what you want to hear from your former manager at all. So, Dave, do you want to sort of fill in the listeners who maybe don't know what's gone on here with this story? It's been a developing one for quite some time.
2: Well, it's... In my opinion, one of the most pathetic spats in modern times. Uh, I mentioned last week that uh, I'd like to see a clough revy style uh, film about these two. <laughs> Actually, I don't think I'd watch it to be honest, because it's so childish and pathetic. Um, yeah, obviously, before the build-up to the West Brom game, we had the story that Sider uh, Mane was serving a, well, had served a drugs ban uh, for recreational use. Uh, that information made its way to the Daily Mail shortly before we played West Brom and given those set of circumstances uh, fingers pointed towards Tony Pulis as the source of this leak um, which upset a great deal of Stoke fans and uh, it sounds like has upset a great deal of the players as well I heard Charlie Adam on 5 Live uh, basically say there's only one man this leak has come from and we all know who it is and then uh, fast fast forward to Monday, having uh, Stoke having lost at the Hawthorns. Uh, Ryan Shawcross supposedly hears a voicemail from Tony Pulis calling him a, a loser in that great Donald Trump <laughs> insult style. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Mark Hughes uh, tells the press this. Mark Hughes says, "I haven't heard the email, but the West Brom manager has has phoned up Ryan Shawcross, calling him a loser." Uh, and yesterday Pulis responded with a, a bit of a, a rant which I, I think I've got here if you In a lengthy in a lengthy rant, Pulis, barely able to control his anger, hit back once more saying it's absolutely disgraceful. Firstly the phone call I made to Ryan is a private phone call between me and Shawcross, and then yes, I did mention losers, but I said about people with innuendos making allegations that weren't true. And when you lose a game of football, you can still be a winner by taking it on the chin and getting on with it. I did use the word loser, but I meant it in that way and I actually said, Ryan, you've never been that. And then he goes on to the mention uh, that all the work he did for Stoke at the Football Club getting us promoted, all the work he did for John Louise Charity and uh, all that saying, I wouldn't want to hurt the people of Stoke on Trent and all this. So yeah, that's a, that's about it. As far as we know, I await... I, I Hughes' response to Pulis' response in this pathetic uh, just like he said, she said uh, nonsense I'm just sick of the pair of them not shaking hands uh, not acting like grown-ups and yeah it's it sounds like from what we've been told that Pulis has sort of overstepped the mark on this occasion but yeah uh, oh God, I'm just yeah just this is the pathetic.
0: It's the biggest Stoke City controversy since Charlie Adams said shakiri's goal wasn't a go, wasn't on purpose. Um right. no, that was just Charlie Adam being
2: an idiot. This, this, is, <laughs> this, this is just uh, two men who are old enough to know better uh, mm. having digs at each other through the Daily Mail.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's we said about it last week. I think that there there must be some. Level of slight bitterness from Tony Pulis that Mark Hughes came in was seen as the person who could take Stoke further than Tony Pulis could, um, and so I, I imagine that there is a bit of animosity there. This, this um, all
2: started. Sorry, sorry, Chris, cut you off. This all started with uh, a game in the League Cup between Hughes's Fulham and Pulis's Stoke, where Wilkinson, I think, murdered Moussa Dembélé uh, in added time, and then that started the whole. Not actually shaking hands controversy, so that was about five years ago yeah it's a it's a long running and tedious feud something to talk about though for us so you, <laughs>
0: what, what what do you think it happened chris what 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 is your thoughts on this did it actually happen did Pulis ring up Shawcross and call him a loser or is because I can't understand why Shawcross would say that if if it wasn't said in that way, do you know what i mean what what is the what is the game yeah, that Shawcross gets i don't understand
1: i I have no idea it's i i i don't know i don't know who to believe in it, and I kind of just wish they'd all stop talking because <laughs> I, I don't i don't like not knowing um you're you're right why would why would ryan make it up but then tony came out and i don't know but in my in my head tony pulis is sat at home with a bottle of red he's got really really just off his face like, i'm gonna i'm gonna ring him we're, we're gonna ring ryan we're approaching libel and territory he, now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know like who who knows and who really cares? Do you reckon
2: apart from... Do you reckon he still wears the tracksuit when he's at home drinking a bottle of? <laughs>
1: lying I in bed. I think it's like Ryan. It's it's Ryan.
2: A... Ryan, <laughs> it's you're in... a loser.
1: <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> oh gosh, I imagine his uh, stout tracksuit's in like a glass cabinet, like the bat suit is in. <laughs> Ready to put it on when when Gotham calls, or in this case, Stoke.
0: <laughs> this is reminding oh, me of when I did an, an Abby Clancy impression on the podcast, which I won't do now. <laughs> um, right, we'll, we'll, we'll end that chat there. We don't want to sort of dwell on this Hughes v. Pulis, the next Stoke City saga. What well, I West should mention, though,
2: is uh, this morning I've got a, a voicemail from Elliot at the Bear Pit TV, and he's calling me a loser, so I just think it's out of line. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Disgraceful Disgraceful
2: um, Right Looking at the
0: league We'll, we'll sort of wrap that chap um, But looking at the league We're five points now Behind West Brom Nine off, off Everton um, Can we push up can, Obviously it's They're likely to drop More points But if it was nine points Off the top If the team was nine points Off the top People would be saying The season's already over um, But for us Is there a potential That we can catch them At
2: all
1: Um Confidence. I, yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think so. I think that they're they're performing better than we are, and that I don't know. I think the table will roughly stay very similar to as it is now, um, and and that's not a, that's not particularly a bad thing, um, but no, I, I don't think we will. I don't think they'll drop off, even if we get better. I don't think they will drop off. So.
2: Yeah, I think ninth is our ceiling this time and, you know, that's fine. Um, uh, I think, as I said on a Palace podcast midweek, the important thing for us is not the exact position in which we finish, it's the sort of spirit in which we finish the season. If we finish the season uh, playing good football and uh, maybe Saido Berrino coming on, scoring a few goals, just uh, showing a bit more... Uh, attacking Verve than we did against Palace yesterday, play a bit more direct, I think uh, that could fuel optimism for next season, so whether we're sort of 9th or 10th or 11th, 12th you know, obviously you'd prefer 9th but I I wouldn't be particularly bothered if we uh, finished 12th but in a positive manner Uh, the game's coming up actually, I think we've got Spurs away, Middlesbrough at home and then uh, I think Chelsea at home Uh, it's a difficult four games anyway with Middlesbrough being the exception so uh, this is going to be a a tough month ahead Um, but we've just got to sort of uh, ride it out really that Middlesbrough game I think becomes important for us
0: Mm -hmm. 100% Um, so yeah we've got the week off next week then all of us three are off to Sheffield to watch the Tottenham game together and then we're going to do a special podcast there as well so that's Something to look forward to, hopefully for you guys, um, and a, just a nice a nice moment to end it on, like sort of the six o'clock news. I thought I'd bring this up, nice this last Arnautovic giving away his boots at the end of the game.
2: Yes, it's just nice, isn't yeah. it? There's it's a, just nice. There's a video on the uh, Wizards of Drivel Twitter if you if you want to see what a man taking his shoes off looks like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, he seemed uh, he seemed. I-, I wondered if it was a case of, like, he'd heard someone in the crowd saying, oh, I could do a better job than you, Arnie. And he was like, yeah, here, have my boots. Show me what you can do. Play a pass like I just did for the goal.
1: Can we also, like, finish on a on a high? Whilst it wasn't one of our players, one of the funnier moments of yesterday's game was towards the end where, I can't remember which Palace defender it was, because I didn't have the screen to <laughs> tell you who it was. But um, one of them was... Ended up arguing with some of our fans, forgot they were playing the game and picked the ball up and uh, then got a free kick for Stoke just because they went and picked the ball up. That was, that was a great moment I, I, in the game. I also
2: enjoyed Glenn Whelan's defiant uh, twatting of the ball into the stands uh, just before <laughs> the end as well. Just like, right, add had enough of this stuff. I'm Glenn Whelan. Good night. Well,
0: I think that, that seems like a perfect place to end this, this section of the pod. So thanks, guys. Thanks for coming on.
2: Cheers, Ben.
1: Thank you thank you for hosting, Ben. Lovely stuff. Well, you wait
2: forever for us to record an interview with a former Stoke player and then two come along at once. Earlier in the week, I spoke to Andy Cook about his time at Stoke. Unfortunately, uh, the programme I used to record cut off many of my parts, but thankfully all of Andy's insights into his time at the club still remain. Hope you enjoy it. OK, I'll start with uh, how did you move to Stoke come about?
3: I was at uh, Burnley and I think originally I remember Stan called it Stan Turner was manager at the time I think um, he called me in this was halfway through the season um, and he said listen, I've, uh, I've had a, you know I've, there's some interest uh, from from Stoke would you, you have inquired would you be interested and I've sort of said even then uh, I've sort of that even though we were doing quite well I said well you know obviously I'd be very interested so, you know it's something I've always wanted to uh club I've always you know I used to watch and I'd you know I'd be I'd be interested if uh, if it comes about so that's when I first heard it and then I didn't really hear anything for quite a while I think it might have, I think it was quite a long time I think and then it's um, it's it, um nothing really happened um i can't remember now it was quite a few months i think and i think i i had a i got pulled out of training one day and um stan said listen um they've they've we've, we've sort of done a deal would you uh you know basically it's down to yourself if you want to go so i literally remember driving it i remember getting in my car burning home as quick as i could and sort of um getting some stuff quickly just getting changed and then um and then, sort of headed down to stoke just to just to uh to speak to him and see what they what they had to say, really
2: yeah, you signed for uh Stoke when good John Thorarson was manager
3: yeah when when I signed it, i mean a lot of a, a, the main person within the deal was uh uh Nigel Pearson, Nigel Pearson was assistant at the time, so I didn't see Good John at all now I spoke to Nigel Pearson on the phone when I was at Stoke and uh john rudge literally the agent i was using at the time he was doing um a deal down in Southampton, um and uh i literally just went down and sorted it out myself and there was literally me uh, and john rudge and we literally just was sat in, sat in his office all pretty much all day we went we had a bit of lunch and then we, uh, we literally sat in the office all day trying to sort stuff out basically. So I literally sort of negotiated my own deal there. Um, what behind most of the deal really was Nige Pearson. I know he was there watching me quite a bit. and uh, I spoke to Nige quite a few times on the phone. So, you know, as the deal was going through throughout that day, so it was, he, he had a, he had a big say in it and obviously he, had, he was, he was quite, he, he was quite influential in me. Um, not only the attraction of Stoke, but Nigel was, was very encouraging in speaking to him. So, um, you know, he was a big character, as, as you can imagine. And he, was, uh, he said he had some influence in me going there as well. I then asked Andy about
2: the 2000 and 2001 season where Stoke fell at the playoffs to Warsaw. I
3: remember it. I said, I don't... Yeah, I remember we played Warsaw. It was a really hot day, and we didn't play particularly well in the first uh, leg of the playoffs. And, and I think I can't remember what it, what it might have been. We might have been a draw or something. I can't really can't remember. And then when when we went away, uh, so he started me and I think me and Thorny, Peter Thorne in the first game. And then when we went away, he dropped. I think he dropped both me and Thorny for the for the second leg, if I remember. And he literally went, I think he just played Ricky Dallison up front, so he hadn't played for ages. And he went sort of, he pushed, he was pushed Graham Kavanagh on as sort of a, like a number 10. And I don't, I don't know when there was a lot, you know, we, fair enough, you know, we, we, I personally, didn't play particularly great in the, um, in the first leg, but I thought he was, that you know, it was quite negative going into that second leg. Uh, I think there was a lot of question marks over it. And I think he made, we may have even, I can't remember if we might have even took the lead that, that game, but I, I remember getting absolutely battered in the, uh, in that, I think, um, I think it just wasn't our night that night, and we we, we really did struggle all, all round, and I think it might have even been four, or something in the end, wasn't it, I think, but, um, I can't, I, I, to be honest, I really can't, but I know he just changed a lot of things that game, so, um, you know, it didn't, it didn't sit, you know, I don't, I think we just, felt that we didn't you know we we let ourselves down that game, but obviously tactically I don't think we were we were set out as 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 an attacking as as we should have been going there when we had you know everything to to go and play for. He then talked about
2: the two thousand and one two thousand and two promotion season and how they felt at the beginning of the season when Peter Thorne and Graham Kavanagh left for Cardiff.
3: Um, yeah, they, they, I mean, Cav and, and Thorny were massive. I mean, they, you know, they were massive players for Stoke. And, you know, Thorny, great lads off the pitch. And he was also, you know, he was brilliant on the pitch. You know, he, he was a goal machine. And Cav was so influential in the midfield. I mean, he literally made, you know, everything would go through Cav. And he was very, you know, he was very good. And obviously from him moving from Stoke, you, you know, he went on to great things. But, you know, I I, we, I think we had a bit of a... It's hard to remember now, but we did okay. We did okay while they'd gone, while we filled the gap, but I think it eventually caught up with us because um, I think we were in... i um, just trying to think what happened. It did, we, we sort of did okay, as I remember. I think we had a, might have had a little bit of a blip or whatever at times, but I think... I can't remember exactly what happened, but we, we seemed to turn a corner and seemed to do Okay because uh, that was the year, that the end of that year. Is that the year we went to the playoff final, wasn't it? If I, yeah, so, like, you know, as much as it was a massive blow, I think um, we sort of picked ourselves up and there was a couple of additions. I mean, I think he, he bought a, a couple of strikers in on loan and um, I think Pete, Pete Huckstra was playing extremely well at the time as well. So, a lot of players were sort of stepping up to the plate and um, when it mattered, you know, in the big games, we just seemed to be uh, to be doing okay. I asked Andy what he remembered about that night at
2: Ninian Park.
3: Yeah, I think, yeah, I think um, I came off the bench near the end of the game. It went to extra time. Um, I think, I thought we won nil down. We might have been one nil down or something. I can't really, something like that. And then I came on and we've we scored at, yeah, we, so we, when I came on and we sort of got last minute we sort of just turned it around didn't we I think I remember where we got was it James O'Connor got a goal um I, it, I, it was a bit of a blurry but I know we, you know since coming on and we sort of got the goal and then I think in extra time we got the winner if that was right yeah or something like that anyway I think we got the winner in extra time I mean it was absolutely <laughs> it's just one of them great nights so I mean they don't come around very often and um you know, to turn it because I think everyone had written us off and Cardiff for favourites, clearly to go up and stuff. But um, it was, uh, yeah, it was just a, an unbelievable night, really. We then talked about
2: Good John Thorndyke sacking five days after winning promotion.
3: It wasn't like a massive shock, but you know, obviously, you get to hear rumours and things like you know what what's happening. And um, I not The only thing I remember, you know, it was sort of the aftermath where because I think we started to when John was sacked I think he I mean he, he he I think he came back to the club a couple of times or he was protesting and stuff like that he was getting a bit weird and a bit strange and you know he, he probably felt really hard done by after what he'd achieved but obviously I think the club wanted to move it on in a different direction and literally move on Just, you know whatever you know and establish themselves in that league and um because I I remember uh, obviously with, with Good John going there was there was a bit of um again where I think we 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 were doing okay and I think is that when um, Steve Cottrell come in I think yeah and I think that between Good John going and in, in, uh, and um, and the club employing Steve, I think we, you know, we, we really did sort of lose our way. I think Dave, Kevin stepped in at number, like from number two into sort of trying to hold it together. I think I always remember going to Sheffield United and we just literally were just, you know, you could just tell amongst the lads that we'd sort of, we, we needed someone to come in and there was loads of rumours about big managers watching us and all this. And um, we weren't performing particularly well. I think we, we lost to Watford, made a QPR, a couple of games we lost. And we desperately needed some, some, uh, you know, just some stabilisation. I think Steve actually, he, um, you either love Steve or you hate him. I actually got on work really well with Steve and he got the best out of me. I think we, we did really well under a short period of time with with Steve. I think we we won a couple of big games and uh, we, we sort of bought a little bit of, um, stability to the team, and you know, to where we were in the league, and all that sort of stuff, and um, it uh, it was going okay. And I think you know he was getting the best out of wasn't you know as I said in, an inexperienced championship side, but you know we, we were we were doing okay, and I think obviously what what happened with Steve, you know, with Good John going and then Steve coming and then and then him going, it it was just. Um, it, was, it was a bit messy really and I think we may have been struggling then so we need obviously I think the club back to, to act pretty quickly and um, and I think that's when uh, Tony came in wasn't it just to try and get us trying to keep us up in the Championship that year so there was a lot of things that happened that year really
2: And then I asked Andy about the impact of Tony Pulis
3: Um, I he 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 used to basically he, he he was obviously at the time he was um it was very i wouldn't say regimental, but we you he expected every single person individually to do their job and then collectively that would come together as a team now I knew my job inside out and it would literally some you know some of the games where we were expected to go I remember the one game he he, he he would he had no doubt he would speak to every player individually and tell them exactly what he wanted from them and he would do it in training so defending set pieces defending certain situations or attacking certain situations or play around the box or this is what I want and this is you know this will help so it, the organisation was very you know was very clear and very good I think we went to stays in my mind we went to Wolves away. I think Wolves were doing okay. I think I literally was. I think he just played me up front by myself, and we I think we just went there and drew nil 0 But it, we was so organised that night, and I think he just expected me to just work and work and just hound the back four. And we could literally get up the field, and you know if we can get set pieces and free kicks and corners and uh, opportunities, then you know that that's how he was working. You know, so we was building little, you know building little bricks to to actually, to, to build a solid foundation, if you know what I mean. So, and that's how he went about his work. And, um, you know, it, it actually worked very well. And, you know, we, we had a good side. We it, it started to, you know, he obviously came in and with his experience and he brought some experienced lads in, um, you know, I was playing, i say at the time with Adi. So we had basically with myself and Adi, he had, you know, two, Workhorses that were just gonna just literally wear defender, you know defenses down and stuff, so just not give him a peace at all and eventually'll we'll, you know if if he if you do that and he all you know you'll he'll, he'll as long as you're doing your job then um, you know he respects you for that and
2: when you left Stoke you you moved to South Korea, which came as a bit of a shock to a lot of people uh How do you how do you go from Stoke to boots and icons?
3: Good question. Really, I think I knew deep down I knew because at the end of that season we stayed up and then we came back for pre-season. I think you know I had I had another year on my contract at Stoke, but I I, you know I'm a realist and whatever I knew the kind of player that Tony wanted up front, Um, and I think it was just time to move on now I would have been ha- more than happy to stay and fight for place or whatever as part of the squad I would I would have been but that, that, that wouldn't have been a problem that that's that's part and parcel of football but I you understand that the kind of striker he wants to bring in and he wants fresh faces so you know I totally understand that I think when that came about um I mean Tony was very good in how he dealt with it probably I mean he, uh, we actually just me and Tony went for a game of golf, which was which I thought was um, was was uh, was good actually because you know we get to have a chat, we get to talk about bits and bobs. It, it obviously his motive is to look, he wants to talk to me, he wants to you know move me on. That's absolutely fine, but he did it you know with. We're in a good manner and I like the way he did that I you know I, I was I was attracted to Busan I wasn't you know I, I there was other things I wanted to do in England but I think I fancied a go at it I think the after the world cup you know financially it it worked family-wise it didn't particularly it wasn't great timing but um it was just something that uh, it's a chance in a lifetime I just thought I'd give it a go basically and that's how it came about. Um, and I think the, at the time it was just it was just too sort of good to turn down. I think these opportunities didn't come around very often. I wasn't getting any younger, even though I'd still plenty probably to offer in the, in England or anywhere else. But I just fancied to go at it, and that's that sort of how it came about.
2: Okay, um, you, you're a. You're a Stokey, aren't you? Do, you? do you still follow Stoke? Do you still like uh, go to games or keep?
3: Well, yeah, not so much. Yeah, I, as I said, I've always the reason why I've I've always sort of gone to watch Stoke. I mean, I used to watch him because all my best mates are massive Stoke fans, so I've always gone. You know, I used to stand on the booth and watch watch Stoke many a time, and um, and. Throughout the years, I've always gone, and, and that opportunity to play for them was, you know, it was a bit of a dream, and it was a it was a big, I wouldn't say a gamble, but, it, you know, I took a lot on because I'm from a town, market rate, which is near Stoke, and they're all massive Stoke fanatics. So, for a sort of a, a local lad to go up there and play, you know, I was putting myself under pressure because you are under scrutiny, you are under, um, you know, you're under... Um, yeah, criticism constantly. So, you know, it was some, but I, you know, I wanted, I wanted to do that. I wanted to do it for me. I wasn't particularly bothered about all the other stuff that went with it. It was just, I just wanted to do it. Um, and I still, you know, so that's why, I t- you know, it was, it was, it was, I'm so, you know, it was, it was a dr- It was something I always wanted to do and I'm just glad I got the opportunity to do it. Um, could have probably performed better in hindsight, but you know that it, things always don't work out as well as they should. But the the you know going back, I still there's still a lot of people there that I, when I was there, and it's great to catch up with them. I actually went took my kids actually to um, to the Man United to the Man United game a couple of weeks ago. So it's good it's great to go back, and you know I do enjoy going back, and you know as I said I, I love getting to the games and stuff when I can. So. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good, it's good, and I do, as I said, I do enjoy to go back there.